Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay podcast. As you know, on this podcast, rather than looking at movies in terms of liked it or hated it, two thumbs up or two thumbs down, we like to look at screenplays in terms of what we can learn from them as screenwriters. We look at good movies, we look at bad movies, we look at movies that we love and movies that we hated. And today's podcast is going to be a little bit of a special treat for those of you who didn't get to attend our screenwriting retreat in Costa Rica this year. This is a little excerpt from one of my lectures from the retreat about Charlie Kaufman's movie, Adaptation. So this is a little lecture entitled Adaptation and the Rhythm of Rewriting, in which we're going to use Charlie Kaufman's script, Adaptation, to learn about rewriting and adapting our own screenplays. This is a fun thing about adaptation, and this is Charlie Kaufman pushing the edges of his own control. The adaptation is an adaptation of three different source materials. Number one, it's an adaptation of a book called The Orchid Thief by Susan Orlin, which is a beautiful book that he loves. Second, it is an adaptation of story by Robert McKee. No one has ever attempted to do a movie version of a screenwriting book before. It is an adaptation of story by Robert McKee, which is a book that he hates even if Robert McKee does say as featured an adaptation on his website. The third thing that adaptation is an adaptation of, adaptation is an adaptation of The Three by Donald Kaufman, <laughs> which is a script that does not exist. In fact, in the original draft of adaptation, adaptation ends with uh, a supertitle of this monologue from The Three. We're all one thing, Lieutenant. That's what I've come to realize. Like cells in a body, except we can't see the body. The way fish can't see the ocean. And so we envy each other, hurt each other, hate each other. How silly is that? A heart cell hating a lung cell. Cassie from The Three. This is his little code, which the producers cut. <laughs> it's a little key to what this movie is really about. This movie is really about archetypes. This movie is about the fact that inside of Charlie Kaufman, the genius is the sellout brother. Inside Charlie Kaufman, the genius who can't write, is Susan Orlin, the New Yorker writer. Inside Charlie Kaufman, the genius who can't write, is LaRoche, the guy who's so passionate about one thing. This is a script about multiple personality disorder. This is a script about fractured personalities and mirrors. This is a script about a bunch of characters who are all the same thing. This is a script about how orchids are women and women are orchids. This is a script about mistaking an orchid for a lover. This is a script about not understanding the difference between you and others. This is a script about how to write a script. How do you write a script? 
You don't write a script by applying a bunch of principles. You write a script by looking inside and finding the piece of you that you're not inviting to the table. At least that's one way to do it. So here you are. Thesis is Charlie. Thesis is purity, real life, no Hollywood sellout. What's the antithesis to that? Donald via McKee. And you breathe life into that Donald inside of you. There is no Donald Kaufman. You breathe life into the Donald inside of you because we are all one. You breathe life into the Susan Orlean inside of you. There's this beautiful moment. He says, I'm getting, I'm finding you. Remember that moment right after they have sex? He says, I'm finding you. Now here's what's really interesting because um, somebody asked a question. Actually, it was Mirtha asked a question about, um, about backstory today. So I want to show you this. This gets cut, but this was in the original draft. Kaufman paces with his mini recorder off screen, laughing and chattering from Donald and Caroline. We see the little girl. This is little Susan Orlin. We see the little girl writing in her journal. Her drunken mother enters, sits on young Susan's bed and cries. We see the loneliness of her childhood, her mother's disappointment at life and how it forever scars the little girl. In fact, Earlier in the script, he actually has this scene. He actually dramatizes little Susan Orland's life. He dramatizes the, the waitress who serves him the, the, the pie, who's in love with orchids. He dramatizes her childhood. He dramatizes the childhood of, uh, of LaRoche collecting turtles with his mother. The first day he got a turtle. All of this got cut. He didn't write it because the movie needed it. He wrote it because he needed it. He tried to make it work in the movie. Eventually it got cut. And it's actually, the movie is better than the script. But it survived all the way up to the shooting draft. This is the rhythm of rewriting. Writing, rewriting does not stop. There is always something that can be changed. There is always something that can be added. But what we're really doing with rewriting is we're trying to whittle it down. We're trying to whittle it down so that as much of it can be about that one thing as possible. And so that we can remove the things that are distractions from that one thing. To allow ourselves to focus and our audience to experience the purity of that one idea. That does not mean your script has to be simple. He starts off this movie saying, I want to try something new in my writing. I want to try something simple. <laughs> he totally failed in that. Because that's not his voice. This was his first script where he played with the idea that we're all one person. Actually, in, being John Malkovich is a little bit of that, actually. Yeah. This is not his first script. This is his second script where he plays with the idea of we're all one person. In Synecdoche, New York, he actually takes that same idea even further. In this script, he is making fun of his own ideas, just as we make fun of our ideas sometimes, right? When Donald brings up the idea, he's like, so it's a serial killer and he has multiple personalities. He's like, the most boring, trite concept ever heard. And then he does it, and he makes you forget that it's trite. 
And what he's really proving to you is that any idea can work. And any idea cannot work. You could take, you can have Robert McKee give a half a page long speech and it can work. And you can have Robert McKee give a half page long script speech and it cannot work. You can use voiceover and it can work. You can use voiceover and it cannot work. You can multiply characters and it can work. You can multiply characters and it cannot work. Things only work and only don't work in relation to that one true thing, that one thing that you're truly passionate about. And so what we're doing in each revision is we're trying to whittle it down. And there are two ways, there are really only two ways we whittle things down. The first is we cut stuff that has nothing to do with it. If you read this draft, you'll see they cut a lot of stuff that just really, it was good, but it didn't really build the main thrust. The other way you do it is you push the themes further. So if, if you start off a character and, who says to Donald, that's not writing, Donald. If at the end of the act two, you have a character who says to the brother, we, say, we share the same DNA. Is anything lonelier than that? Well, what's the furthest you can take that character? If you don't know this, then you don't know anything about life from Robert McKee. You can take that character to a place where Donald Kaufman, Robert McKee, you see he's multiplying characters. Donald and Robert are actually the same character. Where Donald Kaufman, Robert McKee, takes that thesis and crushes it into the ground. Remember that monologue? The real world, the real fucking world. First of all, if you write a screenplay without conflict or crisis, you'll probably bore, the, you'll bore your audience to tears. Secondly, nothing happens in the world. Are you out of your fucking mind? People are murdered every day. There's genocide and war and corruption every fucking day. Somewhere in the world, somebody sacrifices his life to save someone else. Every fucking day, someone somewhere makes a conscious decision to destroy someone else. People find love. People lose it. For Christ's sake, a child watches her mother beaten to death on the steps of a church. Someone goes hungry. Someone else betrays his best friend for a woman. If you can't find that stuff in life, then you, my friend, don't know much about life. And why the fuck are you taking up my precious two hours with your movie? I don't have any use for it. I don't have any bloody use for it. And Kaufman says, okay, thanks. <laughs> so you see what happens here? Does Charlie Kaufman agree with Robert McKee? No. No. Charlie Kaufman despises Robert McKee. But there are millions of people who believe everything Robert McKee says. There are millions of people who think exactly like Robert McKee. If you want to make an argument, if you want to show people a way to think, you don't want to preach to the choir, right? So Jess and I watched Charlie Kaufman's movie and we laugh the whole time. We smile the whole time. Right? Because we already agree. 
those are not the people you need to bring along. They're already on your fan club. The people you want to bring along are the people who disagree with you. When I wrote the Matthew Shepard story, John and I, one of our big conversations was, who's it for? We were both straight men, so we were pretty sure that it wasn't for a gay audience because honestly, we were not the right writers for that. We didn't think that we could bring dad. We didn't think we could change dad because we don't think dad was watching TV movies. But we thought we might be able to bring mom around. The audience for our movie was mom. And we didn't start Judy as a bad mom. Versus she's not a bad mom, she's a great mom. But we didn't start Judy as a stereotypical mom. We started Judy as a mom who sees herself as a great mom. And it was easy for us to do it because it was true. Who loses her son and has to face the fact that she doesn't know him. Because what we wanted to happen, we didn't think we could end hate crimes because we're not... I don't know if anyone can hate, end hate crimes. We didn't think we could do that. But we thought we might be able to get mom to pick up the phone. And that was our one thing that allowed us to kind of whittle it down to understand what her journey needed to be and what needed to happen. So if you want to bring people who think differently from you around, you have to meet them where they are. You want to infuse your antagonist. Don't let your antagonist just be a jerk. Let your antagonist be brilliant. Your antagonist thinks he's the hero. Robert McKee doesn't show up going, man, I'm toxic and I've just destroyed so many young, talented writers. Robert McKee shows up and said, you know what, I just helped a stadium of people today. Robert McKee believes he's the hero. You want to charge the antithesis as strongly as you can and you want to take your character to a point where whatever they most believe, whatever you most believe, where you are actually shaken to your core. There's a great moment in Network. You guys know Network? Right? The main character in Network, he's mad as hell and he's not going to take it anymore. And he has a nervous breakdown on the air. And all of America is like, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And you at home are like, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And then he marches that main character into the, the network CEO's office. And the network CEO gives a monologue that starts with, You have meddled with the forces of nature! And at the end of that monologue, the main character says, I have seen the face of God. That main character gets shaken to his core. And that's Paddy Chayevsky purposely trying to attack his own beliefs with everything he's got to see if they can withstand that argument. Because the truth of the matter is, if doing the right thing always led to happiness, everyone would always do the right thing. If generosity always led to returning of the favor, everyone would always be generous. It's because we fear that we're wrong. It's because we fear that we might not get to where we hope to get to. It's our concern that maybe our beliefs won't work that stops us. He knows that the executive would love it.
Charlie Kaufman's craft is amazing. He knows he could fake it and not go through all this and have Donald's life. Now, this is a pipe dream if you're not already Charlie Kaufman. But once you are Charlie Kaufman, the truth of the matter is he could have done that. Famously, when he turned in the script for The Orchid Thief, what he said to that executive, he said, I know you need to fire me, but this is what I made. Now, one last thing that's really beautiful about this. When you have good source material, you have to trust it. How do you know you have good source material? You know you have good source material if you wrote it and it's truthful. That's called good source material. Even if it's a mess and doesn't work and nobody gets it. If it's not truthful, it's called bad source material. In which case we need to create some good source material and we can ignore it. But if it's truthful, it's good source material, even if you're not sure why. If you're adapting a book or a historical figure and you connect to the book and you love the book, you're moved by it, that's called good source material. You're moved by this true story, that's called good source material. When you have good source material, you want to run towards the truth. So there's a saying that bad executives always say, which is they say, the truth sucks, you got to make it up. It's the advice that Charlie Kaufman gets in the movie, right? You're the best in the world at making stuff up. And he says, no, I don't want to do that. I have a responsibility to this writer because she wrote a beautiful book and I don't want to disappoint her. If you have good source material, you run at it. Now, sometimes you're going to be working from bad source material. Um, if you guys have read The Reader, beautiful script, terrible source material. Written by a lawyer who basically missed the story. Okay? Who was so obsessed with the ins and out of Nuremberg Law that he missed the story underneath the surface of a guy who falls in love with a girl who turns out to be a Nazi. That's an amazing story, right? It's there, but he missed it. Some executive, a smart executive, saw it and went, underneath this really boring, unreadable book is this one beautiful thing. And when you watch David Hare's adaptation, David Hare ignores almost everything in the book. He takes the one good thing, ignores everything else, throws the rest out, builds around that one true thing. If you've got lousy source material, don't worry about what the source material does. If you've got great source material, you want to let the source material guide you, even if it guides you in a bizarre way. So the Orchid Thief started as that sprawly New Yorker stuff. It started as a New Yorker article. And what truly happened was Susan Orlin was hired to adapt that article into a feature film. And she didn't have enough story. So she started jamming it full with stuff about Darwin, flowers, the history of orchids, the history of orchid Hold on one second. Do you see this is exactly how Charlie Kaufman built this movie? He started jamming it with extra stuff about flowers. In fact, in this draft, Darwin's in there. 
Oh, yeah, there's one moment. There's more in this draft. Um, with the history of the universe. He built it like she built it. Susan Orlin is a character in The Orchid Thief, in The Orchid Thief, the novel. So, he stuck himself into this script. In fact, remember um, the hilarious scene where Donald decides to interview her? And he's like, these are all pat answers. She's lying. <laughs> At the end of The Orchid Thief, there's a question and answer with Susan Orlin where she gives nothing but the most pat answers. And one of those questions is, were you attracted to him? And she basically says, well, you know, in journalism, there's always an interest between journalists and subject. And you read it and you're like, well, that was a pat answer. Even that crazy notion of the love story grew out of the book. Why were those questions and answers in? Because it was too short, even with all the stuff she jammed it with. So they, they put it into ad length. He actually ran, he had an unadaptable book, and he ran right at the thing that made it unadaptable. And the only thing he didn't do, he didn't create, except for that fake love story, he didn't create an arc for Jean LaRoche that didn't exist in the book. He didn't do the one thing that every executive would have said to do. Well, just create more of a journey for LaRoche. Just let LaRoche do more shit. He's such a fascinating character. That was the only thing he rejected. You know why? Because that's not what the book did. If you've got great source material that you're adapting, trust the source material. Run right at all the fucked up things about it. Because you got great source material. So you may as well let it guide you. And because adaptation and revision are the same thing, if you've written source material that's truthful and it's a mess, you could trust that all the answers are already there. That all you need to do is keep looking at it, pushing at it, trying it this way, trying it that way, moving it here, playing around with this, expanding from here. That somewhere inside what you already wrote are all the answers you need to bring this film to a completion and to write something that truly nobody else could write. Because rather than depending on somebody else's answers, you're depending on your unique voice, your unique theme, the unique thing that is, that is meaningful to you, that makes you feel passionate. And that your structure is not just attacking some idea that other people hold, that your structure is attacking something that is so deeply felt in you that writing the story shakes you to the core, makes you question who you are, and makes you look at your own beliefs in a slightly different way. I hope you enjoyed this lecture, and if you'd like to join us next year in Costa Rica, we've just announced our dates, June 10th through 19th. You can find out more information on our website, writeyourscreenplay.com slash retreats.